over the summer holidays. Um, and we're looking at uh, this theme of God's big picture. God's big picture. Now I say we're starting a new theme. Um, it's not really much of a new theme. It is one that we've been doing through Abraham. And it is the kingdom of God. But this one, uh, this theme that we're, this God's big picture um, is an overview of the Bible and the picture of what is in the Bible. Now, we're, we believe that the Bible is one book. Uh, it is Old Testament and New Testament, but they make one book. Uh, Old Testament means Old Covenant. New Testament means New Covenant. And uh, in that uh, in that one book, there is this overriding theme of salvation through Jesus Christ. It is Christ's story, okay? Um, and in the Old Testament, we see the promise of <coughs> of a savior, and in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of that savior. Uh, that's the Bible as we believe, uh, as we know and uh, believe in it as one book. But within that whole theme, that whole storyline of Jesus and the salvation story, runs another theme that is intertwined and cannot be unraveled from it as well. And that is the kingdom of God. And we believe that the Bible see, teaches us that uh, the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Now, most of you should uh, uh, be aware of that in the sense that Richard has been taking us through Genesis, hasn't he? Uh, for the last three quarters of a year, nearly a year. Uh, and we're at the story of Abraham. And actually, Abraham has just died and Isaac has just come onto the scene. And he reaffirms this promise. Um, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So this morning, my aim is to recap over Genesis through um, 1 to 12. Okay? Um, I've got a lot to do. Um, I'm hopefully going to keep it nice and short and sweet. And then I want to look at something uh, within that. Um, and that uh, the kingdom of God exists for a reason. Okay? And we're going to look at that reason as well. Okay, so let's get going if we can, if I remember. Now, Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation story. We have the creation story. Uh, each day, uh, part of the world as we know it is made. Uh, I'm not going to go through each day. I can't even remember myself in which order they happen. But uh, Genesis 1, we have the creation story. And uh, we have man uh, as the pinnacle of that creation on day 6. Okay? We have man as the pinnacle of that creation on day 6. In, cha- in Genesis uh, in chapter 1, uh, da- we have verse, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the air, and livestock, and all the wild animals, and over all creation that move among, along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. So we have... 
day six, the pinnacle of creation. And if we, if we stop there, we think it's all about us. And God created everything, and at the end of his creation, he put in his treasured possession, mankind. And that's what the creation story is all about. And we can stop there. In fact, Jesus, uh, sorry, God, he stops there, doesn't he? He stops creating at day six. So you could say that everything revolves around the creation of mankind. But then we need to actually go into chapter two. Because day seven is the goal of creation. Uh, Day seven, we have uh, chapter two, verses one to three. Let's read them. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. See, creation wasn't necessarily all about us. Creation on the sixth day, we, we are made, and we are made in God's image, and he is very pleased with us being created. But on the seventh day, God rests, and he makes that day holy. And he makes that day holy. But, I want you to notice something. That during creation period, we have verse 23. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 23, on the, on the fifth day, this is how each day ends, one through to six. It ends like this. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So there was morning and there was evening the first day. No, it wasn't the first day, was it? Because that was darkness. But um, five. So on day five. So morning and evening. And, and the day was complete. The day of creation was complete. And then the next day, there was something else that happened. And God created on the sixth day, man. And on that day, it was complete. Verse 31. God saw that all he had made was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. What do you notice about day seven? There is no completion of it. There is no finalizing of it. It is, he makes it holy and he rests from everything that he has done. But the seventh day continues. It's never complete. You see, God creates uh, the world and he, he creates everything in six days. He makes us on the sixth day and he is very pleased with us. He makes us now in his image. But on the seventh day, he rests from creation and he has been resting from creation ever since. And on that day, he is inviting us to come and rest in him, with him. You see, at the rest of Genesis chapter 2, uh, Genesis chapter 2 and verses 24 uh, to 25, they show the pattern for the kingdom in perfect relationship. The perfect relationship is a relationship with man created and with God, with man and his wife when he creates Eve, and man with the creation as it looks and tends after the creation. 
But the seventh day, you see, it exists. This perfect relationship exists because they are in rest in God. The rest is eternal. The rest of God is there for man, for man to enjoy the relationship with God and his creation. You see, on the, on, in that seventh day rest, which we read about, read, continue on in Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 25, we see that Adam and Eve are walking with God in the garden. They have a perfect relationship. They have a perfect relationship with each other. They are naked and they are not ashamed. And they have a perfect relationship with creation. They are tending and caring for it, just as they were created to do in God's image. And this is the pattern that is set out in creation story for the kingdom of God. This is the pattern that uh, is set out that it gets expanded on and, uh, and we see more of it. And we see uh, God at work establishing this kingdom throughout the Bible. Oh, I've gone one slip too, too far, haven't I? Or I'm missing a slide. not doing what I want it to do. There. There we go. Right. So we have God's people, Adam and Eve, in God's place, the Garden of Eden. And we have uh, God's rule and blessing, perfect relationship. But we know that that doesn't last, don't we? Those of us who know our Bibles, we know that uh, we were created in God's image. and They were put in the garden. Adam and Eve were put in the garden. They were told that they could eat of anything in the garden except for this tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And along comes the serpent, the, sat- the snake that represents the devil. And sin enters into the world. Sin enters in because they are tempted by this snake to eat and take of this forbidden fruit. In the, the kingdom that's, um, that is shown to us in this pattern, we see that God has given them a rule to follow. One rule. Do not eat of that tree. Do not touch it or you will surely die. One rule they're given. And they are covered in the blessing of God. If they keep that rule. As they live in relationship with him. They are, they are blessed. And they will be in perfect relationship. And Satan comes along as the, as the snake. And he, and he challenges that word of God. That rule of God. And he says look. Surely God didn't say you can eat that fruit. Surely God didn't say you would, surely, you would die. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. We find this account. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal, the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it. Or you will die. You will certainly not die. 
the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from the from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable to gain wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both were opened and they realized what they had done. They were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together to make coverings for themselves. Dramatic story, isn't it? It's, you can see how the devil is just saying, look, surely God did not say. He's taking attack at the very words of God that created them. He's taking attack at the very words and rule of God that establishes the perfect blessing that they receive. And he says to them, look, this is desirable. And, it, and it, you won't die. It will make you like God. It will make you like God. And they take and they eat and there is a blatant disregard for God's rules. Blatant disobedience. Now, you might be saying, well, what's, what's so bad about knowing the difference between good and evil? What is the, what's so bad about that? Well, knowing good and evil isn't bad. But when you know good and evil, you become a rule maker instead of a rule keeper. And then, like Satan said, you become like God in making your own rules. And the problem with making your own rules is you're not following God's rules. You're following your own. So therefore, the relationship that is based on the obedience to God in love and in a perfect relationship, one where there isn't oppression, there isn't judgment, but there is just trust in the one who created you, is broken. So Adam and Eve, they now know what it's like to make decisions for themselves in more than one way. They set the rule because they think they know what's right. And the relationship is broken down. The relationship is broken. The relationship between God and man is broken. The relationship between husband and wife is broken. Did you notice that? They're now ashamed that they're naked in front of each other. Phil said earlier that his biggest problem is uh, the fear of man. <laughs> Look where it started. It started right at the Garden of Eden. And then the relationship with creation is broken. And the kingdom is perished. The kingdom is perished because no one is God's person anymore. No one's God's people. No one uh, is enjoying the uh, Garden of Eden because they're banished from it and God sends them away so that they cannot get to the tree of life. And then all they have is disobedience and curse. It's not uh, too hard to look at that creation story and see the fall of man and look at the world today, is it? And see the greed and the people who want to make their own rules to satisfy their own desires. The perished kingdom. 
So we had the pattern for the kingdom in creation and the Garden of Eden. And then we have the perished kingdom and it all seems lost. And the Bible could end there and that we could be, just be doomed forever after. Couldn't we? But there is grace in everything. You see, after they are removed from the garden, sin continues to go on rampant rampage. Is that right? Goes, continues throughout. If you go through Genesis, if you carry on through Genesis, you've got Genesis uh, chapter 4, um, after they've been taken out of the Garden of Eden, then their, their eldest son, Cain, kills Abel. You have murder. That didn't happen under God's rule, did it? Murder. And then you have the mortality chapter, chapter 5. The genealogy from chapter 5 we see from Adam through to Noah uh, in the genealogy. I'm a page. And you see, the devil said, you won't die. You surely won't die. Well, their relationship between God died. Their relationship between each other died to a certain extent. And now we see that actually they physically die. Because as you read through this account of, uh, from Adam through to Noah, it is continually entered, uh, and ending with each person, it says, and they died. And they died. So-and-so begot so-and-so, and they died. The curse just keeps on going, doesn't it? And then we have the flood. Noah. You see, when we were introduced to Noah, just before we were introduced to Noah, uh, at the, at, we are told that there is no one that is living right before God. No one that is living right before God. And sin has entered into the world and it has corrupted the world in such a way that God regrets making mankind and he floods the world in judgment. And then after Noah, it continues, gets worse as well, Tower of Babel. Everyone thinks that they are so good, they they are so wise, they know what is good and what is evil and they can make their own decisions that they think they're so good they can build a tower to reach the heavens and make themselves God. Sin enters the world and God's judgment on is, is given to each one. But also, God shows that he is still a loving, creating God. And he shows grace. You see, at the fall, when uh, they've eaten the, the forbidden fruit, God still comes looking for them. He knows exactly what they've done. He still comes looking for them. And he clothes them. He gives them clothes as they leave the garden, as he sends them out. And he curses, but he, he punishes them. He gives them a curse. But when he gives them a curse, he also gives them a promise. See, the, the curse, when he, he, talk, he talks to the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. But here's the grace, look. He will crush your head. Oh, sorry, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's easy to miss there. 
Here we have a promise that one day a descendant of Adam and Eve, a human being, will crush the head of Satan. God shows his grace right at the beginning, even straight after the fall. He shows his grace to Abel, uh, to Cain sorry, after he's killed Abel and he puts a mark on him to protect him so that no one else takes revenge upon him. Then he shows grace at the flood and he, uh, sorry, in grace in the chapter of the genealogy of Adam to fruit and Noah and we see Enoch who does, he walks with God and he is taken to be with God. He does not die. And then we see Noah. Uh, even though the world is corrupt and wicked in his grace, God chooses Noah, not that he's good, not that he's a faithful person, but because of God's grace, he chooses Noah to create an ark and keep the human race going. And then we have the Tower of Babel, which looks like there is no grace. The Tower of Babel, they, uh, the judgment falls, he, God gives them all different languages and they, have, they scatter across the ends of the world because of their, of their desire to show that they can all work together as one and achieve God, be God-like. And, it feel, and if you look at that and you read that story, you can go, well, actually, there is no grace there. But if you turn over the next chapter and you get to Genesis in chapter 12, we're introduced to Abraham, one of the ones who... Uh, one who is uh, in a, a, land, a foreign land. No one knows anything about him. But in God's grace, he picks him to continue to show grace to. The, grand, the kingdom might be perished, but God is still at work. And he shows his grace. I want you to notice a theme there as we look through, as you see those uh, God showing grace, that he, he uses one person each time. In, you look at the sin and how it's caused death, and you look at the genealogy, the list of the, those who have lived from Adam through to Noah, and you see Enoch, one person that God has called into himself. And you see that actually, even though we are cut off from God, there is still hope that we might end up in that blessing once again. We see Noah. Noah, in all of that time where all wickedness is rife, we see Noah is picked out. And God makes a promise with him that he will never flood the earth again and that his descendants will multiply. And now we have Adam. And God continues through, Ad, uh, through sorry, Abraham. And God continues through Abraham to show his love and his grace. If you go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, we're introduced to Abraham. And we're introduced to the promise of a new kingdom. Now, I'm aware that most of this you already know, which is why I'm not taking you through all of the passages. I have about 60-odd passages I could actually take you through. And we've actually been looking at this, the story of Abraham, uh, of Abraham in the morning services. And if you would like to know more about Abraham, then please do go back. There's recordings online uh, that you can listen and hear, and hear about the life of Abraham. But this is, the, this is the promise that God says to Abraham. Chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, The Lord said 
And the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. We have the promised kingdom. You see, we have God's people, Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. God has chosen Abraham to reestablish the kingdom of God. And he has given him a place. I will make you a great nation. And he's given him a blessing, look. And you will be blessed. But look, the blessing isn't just for Abraham and his descendants. It's going to be a blessing for everyone. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And we're coming back to the Garden of Eden and creation and the original kingdom. We see that Abraham is God's person. And he will bring about the new Israel nation. He's God's place. And he is under God's rule and blessing. Now, on there is the new Israel. Abraham is the father of Israel. And Israel becomes a blessing to many nations. Um, and God's place, Israel has its own temple, a tabernacle, and God meets with them at that place. And he comes and lives with them. And he creates this new covenant and eventually a new king, King David. And then David is promised again that there will be one of his line that will rule forever once again. Now, that is as short as I could condense it down from in 12 chapters. And if I've missed anything, please come and ask me afterwards. Or if you want to catch up on it, like I say, there's uh, the sermons online. But what does all this mean for us today? What does it mean for us today? We have this promised kingdom in Abraham and... Yet, what does it mean for us? Well, Abraham is known as someone who trusted in God. Hebrews tells us that he's, he, it was, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Yet, he saw the prophesied kingdom, but he didn't see the kingdom in its fulfillment. You see, the Bible, this one book, the Bible is the story of salvation. And we've just touched on the... the, the can't even think now. The pattern for the kingdom in Genesis creation. The perished kingdom and the fall. And the promised kingdom. But the, this Bible is... This book is from beginning to end. It's all about the coming of the kingdom of God. In its fullness, in its entirety. And it doesn't just belong to Abraham. 
And it doesn't just belong to the Israelites. It belongs to every nation of the world. How? Well, like I said, we look, as you see, there's pictures throughout the whole Bible of one person being used each time. God uses Noah uh, to save the world and uh, show a picture of the one to come. God uses Abraham in a, in a world that is cut up and destroyed by its own greed and selfishness and uh, is, is spread far and wide. He chooses Abraham to bring one nation to God to be his people. He brings through that nation a blessing to the world with Solomon in a, partial, uh, in a partial representation of that kingdom. And he's going to choose one person. That is his only son to bring about the fulfillment of the full kingdom of God, Christ Jesus. And we saw a glimpse of that if you, when I pointed you to the curse The curse pointed to the person who will crush the head of the snake, of Satan. And he will be defeated. And God will rule supremely forevermore. And he points to one person. That person is Christ Jesus. We are in the world of the now. We are in the promised kingdom. We are in the established kingdom. But it's not fully established. This Jesus is the one who is going to bring about the kingdom, who has brought about the kingdom. But notice something from the very beginning I wanted to draw your attention to, and I hope I did. We looked at the seventh day rest. God created man so that we would rest in God. That we would rest in Him and know the blessing of being in Him. Of living under his rule. God gave us the seventh day rest. Where am I going? Well, we read that passage, or thank you Paul for reading it so well. uh, Reading Hebrews and chapter 4. Hebrews and chapter uh, 4, he read about this rest. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of of entering the rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. You know, we can look at the the story of creation and we can can feel like, well, sin has entered to the world. What, What about it? What can we done about it? Well, Christ, He came into the world. He was the one that was promised who would crush Satan's head. And He did it on the cross. And he did it on the cross. And we are shown Abraham and Noah and how they believed in the promise of God. And it was credited to them of righteousness. And we are called to believe in Christ Jesus. That we might know his salvation. That we might know that he is the one who is ushering in the kingdom of God. That we might have that relationship with God once more. God has always ruled in sovereignty. We can read the fall and think, well, that's it. God is no longer in control. Satan is. But that is not the case. 
God knew what he was doing from the beginning of time. Ephesians 1 tells us, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, get this, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. For to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. You see, God had and always will have this eternal salvation plan. The fall happened. Why? I couldn't tell you. The Bible doesn't tell us. But it does tell us that from the beginning of creation, he knew it would happen. And he knew he would send his son to die for us, to show that he loves us and that his rule is not oppressive. The blessing that he wants to give us in his kingdom is not one of you do this or else. It is one of do this because I love you and I will bless you and I will keep you and I will sustain you. And he wants us to come into this rest. He wants us to know Christ Jesus and to enter into this rest that we might know the love he has for us. That we might know the blessing and the relationship that he has intended for us all along with him. That you might know that he is everything. Nothing exists outside of him. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Nothing exists outside of him. But nothing exists outside of Christ as well. Because in the beginning was the Word, and Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is the Word? Who is the Word? Christ Jesus, isn't he? And if we have faith in him, like Abraham had faith in God and his promise, then he promises that we will know him in all perfectness. We will know his hand upon us in every rough time, in every good time, in every struggle. There is no time where you will be outside of God's grace. I ask you, do you want to know that? Do you want to be part of that kingdom that is perfect, that is in everlasting relationship? Where every relationship is worth more than gold. Where your relationship with God brings you eternal blessing and glory with Him. If you do, it's not too late. Because the rest still stands and is available for us today. Today, if you hear His voice. If you hear the gospel of God, do not harden your hearts, but accept him. Word of warning. The rest still stands for you today if you accept Christ. If you have faith in him, you trust in him that he is the one who is, has conquered death on the cross. Who has crush the head of Satan, and will bring it to a completion when he returns. There is rest in him. But if you choose not to,
have faith in Him. If you choose to make your own rules, to think your own wisdom is best, to live a life as if you are like a God, like God, the rest is not for you. It says that here in Hebrews. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. But, brothers and sisters, that none of you, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another fully as long as it is called today. This is chapter 3, verse 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Forgot to click my slide. Jesus Christ. He is the way of the kingdom. He is the only way to have a right relationship with God. He is the one that this book is all about. He is the the king of the kingdom. He is the author of the kingdom. There is none other but him. And he calls to you today to see him for who he is. He's the one who loves you enough to die for you. To take the punishment of that sin that entered into the world. That sin that we commit where we feel that we have the right to decide. 